Welcome to A Writer in Italy, the podcast. I am your host, Michelle Johnston, and this is a little share in the world of travel, books, food, art, and lifestyle. I live in Australia, yet have long had an attraction to the Mediterranean countries for as long as I can remember. This inspiration has fueled my creative life and given me incredible joy over the years as an artist and a writer. If you are new to the podcast, season one is the bookshare in the shadow of a cypress, an Italian adventure, and many, many other meanderings in books, art, and cooking, and indeed the lure of Italy as the ultimate muse. You can find all show notes at michellejohnston.net. You can also find me on Instagram at a writer in Italy and at the yellow house underscore. Thank you for joining me. I love having you here for the journey of Muse Italia. Welcome to episode 18 at A Writer in Italy. I'm about to share the Padova to Paris family trip extravaganza. I thought, well, why not share it? It was a lot of fun and a great journey through Italy into the south of France and then finishing off in Paris. We took this trip last year and I am super grateful for that. It was a quick decision at the time and now I look back and just wonder. If it's a little noisy, it's just windy outside, yet I am so determined to put an episode up in the coming days. It's been a little while. I haven't had a lot of space to myself in the house, really. I could have done it, but it was a headspace thing. Some quiet for a few days has given me an extra lease on life. The kids are all back at school, and my eldest has returned to her graphic design course two days a week and two days off from home, so that's nice for her. It's not quite the same from a teaching perspective and I think the kids need that time out sometimes, just getting away and into a new setting, don't they? Just like we all do, really. I hope this stint back last saying that. COVID is definitely rearing its head again. It's ugly head, you could say. Some of our country is in a lockdown situation again with a strict set of rules in place here in Australia. I live near the ACT border in New South Wales and we have been asked not to travel to Sydney at the moment. We were planning on going away this weekend, but that's now kaput. So I will be cooking and going for a big shop at the fruit market instead. Maybe buy some flowers for the house and celebrate things in other ways, I guess. The firewood is piled up at the front door and it's really icy outside and we are just going to wait it out because that's all you can really do. I am just going to revel in the ordinary pleasures, the simple pleasures, my family, some friends when we can, or via Skype. Aren't we lucky we can do that? I have been thinking about this just recently. I've been reading a book on Iris Arrigo, the uh, book called Marquesa of Valdocha by Caroline Moorhead. I have been dipping in and out of this book for a while now, over the last few months, and something struck me the other day about her life. If you know anything about her, she came to Italy as a young woman and took up residence with her mother in the Villa Medici in the beautiful hills of Fiazzale. Later, she married Antonio Arrigo. They moved to the hills of Siena and began an incredible transformation of a substantial amount of land that is known as the estate and gardens of La Foce. She was a woman of affluence and credibility 
and down the track they hired the English gardener designer Cecil Pinsent to reinstate the gardens, although not without some exceptional persistence and hard work. It was then when the war arrived that she began to take on a different role in the community, tutoring and looking after children, feeding them, and many of the war-torn partisans and prisoners of war that turned up on the doorstep. It was the comment by Moorhead that intrigued me about her not returning to London for a fair while. She said she didn't return there for six years. And that stirred me a little because I realised how on hold their lives were, how they had to use their energies in new ways. Mostly it was probably survival that was the number one priority. And I just thought about that and I thought about how our lives are on hold a little at the moment too. Never have I known my own country to separate and cut off borders and territories. I'm not saying it even compares to what happened 70 years ago. Not at all. However, I am aware that our lives have changed a little and that is that. If you would like to know more about this time in her life, one of the books that I have valued over time, I read many, many years ago, is The War in Valdorcha by Iris Arrigo. And obviously the biography by Caroline Moorhead that I'm reading is really valuable too. So here I am making the most of the little things, good food, good wine, my family and getting the garden in order. It is of course deep winter here. The daffodils are rearing their beautiful heads. That is a good sign. I have planted a row of cypress in the last few months in our paddock. We have a back paddock. We have a very long sort of um, block of land. It's, you know, there's houses next door, but we have a long space that we can make the most of. So we have the backyard and then I guess a paddock on the other side of it. So getting trees down there over the years has been an interesting lesson or an interesting learning curve is how I would describe it. Uh, I think I have dug so far 13 holes. Maybe two or more would be good on the western side of the paddock. I have a deep love for cypress and after a failed attempt or two with some other trees I, a few years back I am pleased for a wiser choice this time. There has been some blood, sweat and tears over those other trees. However, that's no problem, it's not a real problem. It's just interesting to get to the next stage. Anyway, I might share a podcast about the cypress at some point. There is a good story behind this. Anyway, here we are today, it's the 8th of August and I'm going to share the Padova to Paris family journey that we set out on in 2019 in March, I guess the later, uh, sorry, late winter in Italy, nudging into spring and I would like to also have a little giggle because when I wrote the book I shared in season one in the shadow of a cypress, when I was in Siena, I said how much I really wanted to bring the girls back to Italy and that after laughing and listening to some other tourists complaining about the queues in Florence, I was observing their story and thinking to myself, yeah, I'll bring them back in March. And I wrote that down and there we are. I somehow knew March was a good time, I guess. Anyway, just a little side note. Let's begin. Thank you for joining me today. And all show notes are at michellejohnston.net. 
Padova to Paris, the family trip. The decision to go to Padova, a place I had seen little of in my travel reads, came about due to a friend in our street telling me he stayed there for four days, using it as a base to go to Venice and some other northern cities. I liked that idea, and even though I had no idea when I was going back to Italy at the time, I kept it in mind. Sometime later, around September of 2018, I had a sudden thought for us to go to Asia over the school holidays, the Christmas holidays. When I looked at ticket prices, it wasn't much more to just go to Europe. Maybe I was booking it way too late, who really knows? But I became intrigued and started to find great deals for around the world tickets. This was our first time to take the girls abroad and the fact that my eldest daughter had turned 18, I suddenly realised that time was moving us all along. And for some reason the idea, the desire came with an urgent feeling like, we just have to do this. Let's go soon. We are a family of five and living in Australia. The US dollar and the euro are not quite working in our favour down here in Australia, but we were willing to consider it an option, no less. I was leaning towards New York, LA perhaps, when my husband Richard said, what about Italy? Now you all know how I feel about Italy, so this was definitely a no-brainer. I was just grateful I wasn't the one to push this part of the plan and was immediately buoyed by the next step. Before we knew it, we had organised school leave for all of us and we were booked for a trip in March, landing in Milano and ending up in Paris, France. I love the idea of travelling off-season in the sense that it is still quite cold in places, but the lack of crowds and less expense might be a bonus. We were all super excited late 2018 and kept our treats at Christmas simple and fun as to continue the commitment for our travels in March. Over the years, I've continued to realise just giving gifts for the sake of it loses its true value after a while, and the anticipation of an activity can be quite exciting, so the girls were not really concerned at me budgeting a little over the Christmas holidays, our Australian summer break, so we could really enjoy our travel time in the coming months. The other interesting detail is that I had agreed to go with my mum to London in May for a few weeks of travel so that she could live a dream of hers to visit the Chelsea Flower Show just one time. This being her first time abroad too. She was not so inspired to go it alone and I had agreed to be her companion for the journey. So mothers and daughters. I cannot remember now what came first. Mum with her worry of travelling solo or me feeling the need to go with the girls before they escape the nest themselves. It was at the time a bit like the chicken or the egg, which one came first. All I know is I was suddenly travelling twice in a short space of time. And as I said to mum, yeah, let's just do it, 2019. Looking back, I see my determination to do both was some wonderful intuition, even though the idea of the sum of it all scared me a little at the time. And now we are not able to leave Australia as COVID is looming over us as a reality on a global scale. We decided to go straight from Sydney Airport after a night's stay with our parents. We are three hours away from Sydney, so this helped us a lot. 
As usual, Richard's family came to see us off, mums and dads, aunts and uncles and the girls' cousins sharing our excitement on a Saturday afternoon as we got ready for our long haul to Doha, Qatar. Now the funny thing about this trip is that all of our travel dramas happened in the first 24 hours and the last 24 hours of the adventure. Seven hours in, we discover that Maddie gets airsick. Not that we had learnt this on domestic routes within Australia. The nausea began and did not end until we arrived in Doha 14 hours later. She was green between the girls and had vomited a number of times on the journey. Since I was right next to her the whole way, we both had remnants of vomit on our jeans and were most glad to exit the cabin of the plane after the 14-hour flight. With only a two-hour stop, I got her to lay down for a while on the carpet while we were lined up for the next flight. Recovery time was really slim. However, she managed a lot better on the second journey to Malpensa, Milano, and was very relieved to have this particular day behind her. Grace and Livy were as happy as daisies. Although before we could exit the airport, we had a small delay once we discovered one of our luggage bags was still in Doha on the tarmac and poor Maddie was without a fresh set of clothes to put on. She was a little shell-shocked by then, yet handled it extremely well. Fortunate for her, I had plenty in my bag, not unusual, and lent her some of my things. Lucky we are not too different in size. Not that she was thrilled the next day to be bagless and dressed in a tunic and a woolen poncho, but it was a good lesson for a teen that sometimes this happens. We were given a ticket and told to expect our bag within the next 24 hours. Time would only tell when the silver bag would turn up. We sat at Milan for a while trying to book a train for the Padova line, sipping cappuccino and munching on a panino with thick slices of formaggio and prosciutto and slabs of pizza from the cafe that made us feel all alive again. Eventually we bought some tickets for a fast train to Padova and got on our train and sadly left Milan watching the bare trees and the flat winter landscape as we exited the city. My idea of visiting the Duomo just for a look faded fast. Farewell to this northern city as we headed onwards to Padova. Affirming our efforts were not over yet. When we exited the railway station we unfortunately made a wrong turn and kept walking and walking to discover we were indeed very lost. What was meant to be a 10 minute journey on foot to the Centro Storico turned into an hour of laboured wandering in an odd part of town, somewhere between old and new. My suspicions were rather correct when, after some frustration and exhaustion, a friendly Italian on a bicycle stopped to see if we were okay, as I guessed he could tell we were completely lost, since tourists perhaps do not usually visit over that side of Padova. We learnt one good thing here. Connect with travel sim plan before you arrive and not after. I took this idea seriously before I left to London with my mum ten weeks later. No fooling around that time. I have to admit I really thought Rich would have his directions under control. He has navigated us through the mountains of Nepal, so I just didn't blink an eye. But I was wrong. We were 100% lost. Later, we realised the Google map was pointing south, the one that was printed off the computer at home. Yes, us rookie travellers took a hit. Our nerves were frazzled. Yet my real concern was the person waiting at the accommodation for the meet and greet part of the deal. And since we were about an hour and a half late, I was feeling a bit tense. 
So the friendly bicycle man pointed us to the bus stop and that little miracle helped us find ourselves into the heart of Padova. The 10-minute bus ride eased our pain to a degree, yet finding the apartment was still on the agenda. Richard asked a well-dressed local for some directions and off we ambled under ancient porticos and on past colourful shop windows. Suddenly we turned down a narrow street, Vitola de Dotto, with a rainbow and a black cat mural painted on the wall. A good sign indeed. We found our little apartment after the 30-hour journey and about three hours sleep. We were elated, to say the least. The accommodation turned out to be an old mini palazzo with painted frescoes on the bedroom walls, antique furniture, thick red velvet curtains and plenty of space for all a few streets back from Piazza dei Signori in the medieval city of Padova. What luck to find ourselves in this city of the Veneto. After running all through the house to check all of the rooms, the upstairs and the downstairs, we wandered out into the main piazza to see a glossy beauty of a city after rain had washed the streets clean. Ornate lamp lights, cafe tables and a handsome white and blue clock tower in the centre of the square were all lit up at night. The Palazzo della Regione was at centre stage, dominating the large square. A medieval and grand building with an open loggia on the upper floor sure looked a welcome sight to our bleary eyes. We made our way to the supermarket to stop up on provisions for breakfast and the days ahead loving the new scenery inside and outside. I love an Italian supermarket for all of the fabulous and delicious morsels on the shelf to be tried and tested. As usual, I buy way too much and we traipse back tired and happy, bags overflowing with provisions for our stay. Originally, we had planned to spend our first day in Venice. However, with the impending bag delivery, we had to stay close just in case. No real problem as Padova is a wonderful city to discover. Early morning we wandered out into the main square, Piazza della Frutta, and found a table at Cafe Padovino so I could partake in one of my favourite Italian morning rituals, an espresso and a brioche. It was lovely just facing the square in front of a large market and watching the locals going about their day. The girls pulled out their travel journals and jotted a few notes about the past 24 hours and enjoyed a brioche too thick with zabioni and sugar. I had splashed out on one of those automatic cameras that are trendy these days so they could take some shots on the fly and stick them in their art journals. They were rather awestruck to be actually in Italy. Ready for the day and delightfully happy, we just floated about admiring the architecture and the streets of the city. It was quite cold and I was wondering to myself if it was a mistake to not bring a proper coat. I had woolens like scarves and jackets, but potentially needed something more robust. As luck would have it, I scoured the market with a keen eye, not so much expecting anything and scored a white jacket for five euros. So that was cool. I sensed it would help me out the next day in Venice, as I had noticed the weather was tipped for a sharp 11 degrees. Padova is a fascinating city. The local university dates back to 1222 and is one of the oldest in the world that is still standing. And notably, Galileo Galileo once lectured there, circa 1600. 45 minutes from the wonders of Venice, Padova is a leap, a skip and a jump from other great cities like Vicenza, Verona and Treveso. 
canals and waterways traversed the city. In the 13th century, a circuit of canals was constructed to link the Brenta River from Venice to Padova. There is a majestic waterway running through the city that was once not only the link but a transport system of the Veneto. Since the advent of roads and cars, these ways have disappeared but offer a watery connection to the lagoons of Venice and have a calming influence over the city. We wonder about taking in the beauty of Padova, the bustling market in Piazza dei Signori, the people riding on bicycles with warm coats and hats, the medieval tower known locally as Torre dell'Orologio with the azure blue detail that is vaguely reminiscent of Venice in my mind. The beautiful winged lion struts across the archway at the entry to Piazza del Capitanio. The clock dating back to the 1400s above illuminates the square standing tall and proud. The circular blue motif is the wheel of the zodiac, referencing the 12 signs and the phases of the moon and is called the astronomical clock of Padua and is one of the oldest working clocks in the world. Strangely, the sign for Libra is missing, however one wouldn't really know that upon looking up there. This is a grand city and is one of the seven provinces of the Veneto region, including Belluno, Rovigo, Treveso, Verona, Venice and Vincenza. The lion I noted previously is the symbol for the region and stands proudly on the flag and coat of arms of the Veneto region. Once we need a little break, we find ourselves at a table at a little pizzeria Pepin in Piazza Cavour. Sitting outside on plain seats and table, the girls order what is to become their favourite lunch, pizza margarita. I choose a Chianti wine to savour with a plate of rigatoni pasta of swordfish, capers, olives and pomodoro. I am hoping Richard will surrender to my second favourite ritual in Italy, the long lunch in the piazza with wine and bread. He tells me he would prefer to have a lighter lunch, yet time will tell if he just surrenders to it and he sees what a marvel it is to linger over food and wine in the middle of the day in a piazza of one's choice. After the delight of pranzo al fresco, we continue on so that I can see the Giotto paintings. On the way we wander through the vast gardens called Giardini Giotto and onto the Scriveni Chapel, also known as the Arena Chapel, locally, just off Piazza Ermitani. Richard, Grace and Liv hang about for a little while while we buy tickets inside the Museo Civico. Maddie and I have an hour or two of an art explore. This is where I intersect to share that I did a small amount of research on Padova that included a random open of a guidebook to discover that one of my favourite artists, Giotto di Condoni, left his mark in Padova and took it as a sure sign that I should go and see this gem. I have mentioned this before when I have shared the book in season one, that I am often slightly bewildered as to whether to make a solid plan before entering the country or leave things to unfold spontaneously on the day. I have at last discovered sometimes this spontaneous thing works beautifully, but if you really have your heart set on something and you only have two days, you should make a reservation. I know that is obvious to some. Obviously, if you have two weeks in one spot, a little spontaneity is the perfect remedy for days in a certain place. At home, I want to leave it to surprise. I guess wanting the experience to unfold naturally and appear fresh and brand new on the day. Saying that, I am beginning to understand it is always a new experience because things are three-dimensional and not two. 
as they are looking at a book or perusing the internet months earlier. Ralph Potts, a travel writer I have read, once talked about micromanaging the journey, and I think I took it a little too much to heart. Time will tell and lessons will happen, whether things are booked or planned or not. Maddie and I have two tickets to see the Capella degli Scrovani and some of the Museo Civico we are housed in on arrival. We wandered back out to the gardens and off to a small building of an old and new facade. If you see this chapel, it is staged in timed allotments for visits. The temperature inside is controlled and monitored, as are the numbers entering at any given time. At first I find this strange that we sit down for a documentary with a bunch of mostly Italian tourists on the unfolding of the chapel's restoration. I am slightly bewildered as I like to have a visual reference and taste of art on my own terms at first. What I do not realise while watching the film is that this waiting period allows the physical human presence of our body's temperatures to be lowered and the dust particles we have brought in to be filtered before entering. When we finally walk into the chamber, we can only wander up and down the aisle to take in the rare beauty of Giotto's work. Of course, it is worth the patience and the distraction to get in there. The fresco cycle depicts the life of Christ and the life of the Virgin and is a typical biblical narrative that Giotto and his dedicated workers are renowned for. We just all stand there in awe, slowly taking in one side of the room, circling overhead to the other. Giotto's art always transcends. The rich gold circling mother and child. The deep, deep blue in contrast always evokes a mystical and reverent feeling, a visual feast and, in my mind, a sacred experience. We are all quiet in the vast chamber. The traveller can just stop for a minute in awe at the beauty and the knowledge that this work has stood the test of time. Giotto was supposedly working in Padova over at Basilica of St Anthony when the wealthy Paduan banker Enrico Scrivani decided to create a grand palace and chapel over the remains of an ancient Roman arena. He requested that Giotto, the Florentine artist, be the man and the team to decorate the inside of the chapel where indeed Scriveni planned to eventually be buried with his wife, Jacopina d'Este. Giotto had been very busy with his workers in Rimini previously and Assisi. Giotto and his 40 or so painters completed the work sometime between 1303 and 1305 over a two-year period. The palace itself was later demolished in the early 1800s, yet the restoration of the chapel began after the city purchased the building in 1881. Work continues to this day to consolidate the chapel, and certainly as recently as the 2000s. A ticket allows us to visit the Museo Civico, so we make the most of it exploring the museum a little further. In the meantime, Richard has taken the girls on a wander and enjoys looking through the Conservatorio di Musica of Cesare Polini, citing many frescoes within. This is the beginning of him enjoying art on a grand scale. It is great that you can just walk in and see these spaces and enjoy the vast beauty of the architecture of a visitor. On the way back to our old palazzo, we see children dressed up in costumes and dancing around the square. There is confetti everywhere, outside of the Pedroki Cafe. I do not realise at the time that this cafe has a fascinating history and is significant to Padova. My research suggests that the cafe dates back to the 18th century and has, I quote, 
architectural prominence in the city. Each room is uniquely decorated and has been an attraction for many artists over the years, such as Stendhal and Lord Byron, of course. Sometime in the 18th century, drinking coffee by the wealthier bourgeois of the Venetian Lagoon began to expand into other cities. Francesca Pedrocchi of nearby Bergamo came to the wise decision that he wanted to create one of the most beautiful cafes on earth. Opening in 1831, Café Pedrocchi, a stunning neo-Gothic building, began its legacy. His son, Antonio, helped expand the building and later introduced coffee roasting and ice making to their menu. Further down the track, they created the Pedrocino, introducing a Gothic pastry shop to the building. When Antonio died, he left the building to Domenico Capoletto, his apprentice's son, and on it went. Eventually, he would pass on too, and the cafe would be left to the city of Padova. Things would go up and down inevitably with war and change. However, the cafe still stands as a magnet to artists, writers, students and people who enjoy the finer things in life. I read that it was the student uprisings in 1848 against the domineering Austrian Empire that solidified its place in history. Believe it or not, I knew nothing of its extraordinary history before this trip, and only later did I realise and discover this tale of the Grand Coffee House. I know one thing upon writing this up, I will be going back to see it for myself one day. What is interesting is that on this day, I stopped to take a photo of the Gothic spires, studying the extravagant beauty of the building. It turned out that it was the last day of Carnavale for the Veneto, and the locals were out celebrating the occasion. We did miss seeing the real thing in Venezia, yet we were none the wiser at the time. The sun was setting as we walked back to the Piazza della Frutta, and the girls sampled their first gelato, excited for a double scoop that was generous and overflowing on the cone. It was chilly out, but we didn't mind. We ambled back readying ourselves for the next big day ahead. Venezia. Just before the lights went out that night, the silver bag finally arrived. I whispered in Maddie's ear that her bag was downstairs and she fell straight to sleep, peacefully dreaming of the Venetian lagoon that she would see for the first time the next day. And there you go. That is a story of one day in a little spot in Italy, a little place that we suddenly decided we were going to arrive at. We had a lot of fun and we loved where we stayed. We stayed there for four nights and reveled in just a beautiful place that was off the beaten track. We were really probably the only tourists there at that time. Not that it matters whether we were or we weren't. It was just interesting and it was just very Italian. So that was why we were there, just to have an authentic experience. So I will be back in the following weeks with a little adventure in Venice and a little adventure in Verona before heading off to Florence and that is that I've really enjoyed sharing this and and writing it up actually because it's always good to sit with some an experience and really think about it give it your attention and I took myself out 
for two coffee dates because I was getting nothing done at home, trying to write at home. I was like, right, we need to leave the house. I just made myself go out and do something else and get some new scenery. And that was good because it worked a treat. And I came back and then I just kept writing. So, yeah, you just need to break it up sometimes and fill up that well, that inner well in other ways. And suddenly it's not so challenging. So, yeah, that's how I managed to get that piece of writing down and shared with you. Take care and I hope you're part of your world. The world is looking after you. See you then. Bye. This is a little post-production note just to say thank you to Richard for creating the music today and really enhancing the podcast. I just listened to it and I really love what he did. So thank you, Richard. And he also wanted me to tell you all that I got some of the facts wrong in this particular podcast that, in fact, we were lost for not one hour, but two He also felt that some other details were a little bit grey, but that was how I experienced the trip. And if he wants to talk about it, he could always start his own podcast. So, you know, it's up to him to do that. Although he reckons he might just jump in and add some thoughts next time. (laughs) We'll see if he does. Okay, thank you again and all the best. Bye.